And that is the good news, the good news that we just sang about in song after song after song about the name of Jesus. And so as we conclude our sermon series entitled Making Wise Decisions, let's keep that on the forefront of our hearts and minds. That he receives the glory. He receives the power. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of our lives. As Audrey just prayed, God gave us everything. He gave up everything for you and for me. And as we consider this message today, as we consider this series, our role is to respond to that greatness. And so whether you've been following Christ your whole life, my prayer is that this would be a refresher for you. And this would be refreshing for you and convicting for you. If you are checking out the Christian faith and you're wondering about what this is all about, this is going to provide a window into what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so you're not obligated to anything I'm about to say. You can just check this out. And I invite you to consider what this could be for your life. Because we are indeed finishing our sermon series entitled Making Wise Decisions Today. We've been considering what is a wise decision as defined by God, as defined by his word, defined by who he is and his ways as opposed to our ways. And we began this series by considering the difference between a foolish decision and a wise decision. And we've been camping out at points in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, these wise words from the Apostle Paul in the New Testament where he says, be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Right, Paul, when he said, be very careful how you live. The word live could be translated how you walk or in essence for me it's an image of taking steps. Be careful the steps that you take. In other words, be very careful with the decisions that you make because every decision not only impacts your current moment, it impacts where you're headed and who you're becoming. As we're concluding the month of January, incredible that January is almost done. Many of us are saying, thank God, January's almost done. But January's almost done. We started this year saying, how can we look at this year? Where will we be on December 31st, 2022? What type of person will we be? And what type of decisions are we going to make between now and then? And what type of person will we, be, will we become? And so I've asked you to consider that question. Because that phrase, you are what you eat, can be also described as you are what you decide. Because our decisions matter and they're critical. And so we've considered time decisions in terms of our schedule. We've considered how we utilize our gifts, our experiences, and expertise last week. And last week, the action step was to take an inventory of your God-given gifts, experiences, and expertise, and identify one way to start or restart utilizing them in love and service with our church family. So I ask you, how did that go? Did you take a moment to do it? Again, did you forget about it because it was such a great weekend of football that you forgot about all this? <laughs> great games later today too, but focus for now, the idol of football. What, how can you utilize your gifts, experiences, and expertise? I pray you continue to think about that. We're gonna explore that more in the weeks leading up to Easter in terms of how we can utilize, utilize our gifts, our experiences, and expertise. But today we turn our attention to finances and financial decisions. And we're gonna ask the question, what is the wise thing to do with our money? And what does God have to say about that? What wisdom does he have to offer in his word based on who he is and his ways? Remember, we've been utilizing the working assumption and definition of a wise decision, meaning that God's included in the process, that God's in the picture, that we don't cut God out, we don't try and make our own decisions based on our own expertise and our own knowledge, but that we look to him first and we look to his word and we consider his ways in our life. And so we're gonna apply that lens to financial decisions today. 
Because God talked a lot about money in the Bible. And Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell and sex combined. Why did he do that? Because I believe he knew there was a heart issue. Jesus in Matthew 6.21, famous words from the Sermon on the Mount said this. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Meaning that where you point your treasure, where you point your money, what you buy, what you purchase, your heart's going to go there. And so Jesus wanted us to know that pattern. Because ultimately, Jesus is not interested in your money. Ultimately, Jesus is interested in your heart. And he wants your heart. That's why he said you can't worship both God and money. What was he saying with that? He was saying that you need to direct your hearts and your resources to God. And as you do, your heart will follow. And your heart will be closer to God. And Jesus wants your heart. And so here, as we go through this message, keep that in the back of your mind. That God, again, is less interested about your money. He's ultimately interested about your heart because he loves you. And he knows all the different ways that money in particular can trip us up. Like a good parent, if you look at your child or if you have grandchildren and you think, oh, if you just wouldn't walk down that path or if just you wouldn't engage that or you just leave that behind or don't go there. So many ways I believe God says, watching us as his children, saying, I've given you these resources. I've given you this money. You're free to use it however you want. Well, wow, imagine. Imagine if you considered me first in your financial decisions. So that's what we're going to look at today. So today's message is less about should I buy X or should I buy Y and how do I have wisdom in that? This is more about looking at how God looks at money. And if we get up on the balcony first, then if we get that right, then all the other pieces fall into place. There's a ripple effect out of it. And so we're going to begin by looking at a passage from 2 Corinthians in the Bible. In the New Testament, the second letter that Paul wrote to these dear Christians in the ancient city of Corinth, he wrote two letters. And in these letters, he engaged a series of issues that had come up in that church in that time. Especially in the first letter. Over and over, he addresses all kinds of issues. He continues that in the second letter. And towards the end of the second letter, he calls these Corinthian Christians to action. Why? Because at that time, there was a challenge in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church was having all kinds of struggles financially. They needed help. And so Paul, who was traveling all around the Mediterranean region, he had planted all kinds of new church communities. As he went back, he took up a collection, a collection to help not only the people, the the Christians in Jerusalem, but others as well as they shared the love of Christ through giving and helping those in need in that city and in that region. And so that's the context of this, of what I'm about to read. But hear me on this. There's lots of gems and treasures in this passage about money, how God sees money, and how he invites us to see money, and the freedom and the joy that comes from seeing it from his perspective, not just from our limited perspective. So I'm going to read through the whole passage right through first, and then I'm going to go back and take it section by section as we consider how we can make financial decisions wisely today. So here are these verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. Paul writes this. He says, Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things at all times, having all that you need, You will abound in every good work. 
as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in the thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. All right, amen. This is God's powerful word. Here we see Paul first calls them to remember. He says, remember this. Meaning he's saying to them right away, this is important. Don't forget this. And it's a principle. It's another example of the law of the harvest in the scripture. He who sows so sparingly will reap sparingly. But he who sows generously will reap generously. Relying on a farmer, farming image of casting out seeds, saying if, if a person casts out a, a ton of seeds, sows generously, then the return, the harvest is going to be generous. But if a person sows sparingly, holds back, the harvest will be spared. Will be spared. Will come back sparingly. Will be less. In many ways, here Paul's setting up his discussion in terms of financial resources, saying, look, this is, if you share broadly, if you share generously, then the return is going to be significant. But if you hold back, your return is going to be limited. Now the temptation for these readers and for us today as we even think about applying this to financial resources and being generous in decisions that we make, would be to, to, the temptation is to hold back. In some ways it could seem that if you sow generously, it could be a waste. And farmers, he, Paul is saying, no, if farmers don't think that's the case. In fact, Bible commentator, David Garland says this about this. He says, no farmer considers sowing as a loss of seed because the harvest will provide the seed for the next season. Consequently, no sower begrudges the seed he casts upon the ground or tries to scrimp by with sowing as little as possible. He willingly sows all that he can and trusts that God will bless the sowing with a bountiful harvest. If the farmer, for some reason, stints on the sowing, he will cheat himself of that harvest. See, here's the scripture saying, don't hold back. The temptation could be like, don't, don't, I'm gonna hold on to some seed. I don't need to, I don't wanna be too generous with it. If I hold on to it, that's the better way. Here, Paul's saying, no, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you'll reap generously. It's a direct relationship. Well, he moves on and then talks about, provides a call to action. Verse 7, he says, Each of you, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He starts by saying, Each of you. We saw these three words last week. Each of you, meaning this applies to everyone. No one is left out. Each of you consider this. But also, it applies to each person uniquely. 
Each of you need to consider this. Each of you need to decide in your heart what to give. Paul's telling these Corinthian Christians, and he's, God's saying it to us by extension today. Each of you decide in your heart what you're to give. In essence, it's between you and God. But then he describes three types of giving. He says, not reluctantly. He says, one type of giving is reluctant giving, meaning holding back, unsure. Maybe unsure because you don't want to give. Maybe you want to hold on to what you have. Maybe unsure because you're not trusting of to whom you're giving. But in whatever way, Paul's saying, don't be reluctant in your giving. Another form of giving is under compulsion, meaning from the outside in, where there's other factors. Someone's making you do something that you don't want to do. Maybe it's because of guilt and shame. Maybe it's because someone's threatening to hold back love or relationship. He's like, in essence, he's saying, don't hold back. Don't hold back. Don't give under compulsion, he's saying, because that's from the outside an outside action. He's like, do it from the heart. But the third type of giving is cheerful giving. Cheerful giving. And he says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now for me, I think for years, for whatever reason, I blew off this verse. I thought it was just a cute phrase. God loves a cheerful giver. I'm like, oh, it's a cute little phrase to be on a Christian mug that maybe I drink coffee from or something. <laughs> but as I stepped back and said, why is this here? Cheerful, a biblical description of cheerful is not someone who's just happy and walking around. It's full of cheer, full of joy, full of this gift of the Holy Spirit, this sense of not I have to do this, but I get to do this. And it's the joy that comes ultimately as the fruit of the Spirit from God, saying God loves a cheerful giver. I think ultimately because God is a generous God, and when we give like God gives, we become more like him, and we experience the joy of being like our Heavenly Father. So God loves a cheerful giver because when we give and we're generous with other people, then we're like God. So Paul's saying God loves a cheerful giver. And then in the next verses, 8 through 15, Paul makes the case for why we are to be a cheerful giver. And he does this because he knows that most people, going back to Jesus' words about money, aren't going to be cheerful givers. Because ultimately, we have to work hard for our money. And our money and so many times it takes, that, that work takes time, and that time is our life. And so to give up our financial resources, to give away our finances, decisions we make, takes everything out of us and requires all of us. And so why? Why would we even consider being a cheerful giver beyond a nice phrase in verse 7? Well, we see in verse 8, he begins, God says, that we see that God provides all that we need so that we can bless others freely. God gives us all that we need so we can bless others freely. And in verse 8 we read, and God is able to bless you abundantly. Now listen to all these words, these all words. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Here's a reminder from Paul that God is the supplier of everything. All those songs that we just sang that speaking about God's magnificence and power and who he is, he is the source of everything. And he provides uh, to us so we can then freely bless others. He is the source of everything. He is the source of all that we have. And he gives us all things at all times so we have all that we need so we can abound in every good work. Ultimately here, Paul's reminding these Corinthian Christians and reminding us today that what we have is not ultimately meant just for us. It's meant to abound in every good work. It's, amount, it's meant to bless others. As we skip down to verse 10, we see the next truth that God gives to us so we can be generous and then gives us more as we are faithful with our generosity. Right, verse 10, we read this. We read, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food 
will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. What's he talking about there? This is lots of seed and farming talk. Paul is drawing this analogy saying, look, God gives you everything. He gives you seed. He gives you food. And he not only supplies it to you, he's the great supplier. He continues to increase that so that you could then give generously. And the key is as we give generously, there's something that happens in us. Our hearts are enlarged. Our hearts are strengthened. Our generosity muscles are exercised and strengthened. Like any muscle, as you work out that muscle, that muscle set over time consistently, it grows and it's strengthened. Here I believe is a picture that that God has given to us as we exercise our generosity muscle, as we exercise giving our lives away, giving away our financial resources, then we become stronger, we become more generous. And in that, we read here in other places in Scripture that God then entrusts us with more. Now hear me, this is not a get-rich scheme, right? It's not saying, okay, well look, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna give away, and then, okay, God, now double what you give me. We can't, you can't, can't play with God that way. But imagine I'm, I, I mean, I know I'm not God. I don't think you're God. But if you were God and you saw a, one of your children being responsible for what was given and giving it away for your purposes in the world, wouldn't it make sense that you give that person more and entrust them with more? I know that's the way with my kids. I have four daughters. I know if I give them $10, what's going to happen? One's in the room. I'm not going to call her out. But the fact that we have, <laughs> they all act differently. We all act differently. But God gives to us so we can be generous. And then, if we are entrusted and do well with that, he entrusts us with more. So who benefits? The rest of the verses show that everyone benefits. Everyone benefits. In verse 11, right, we read this. We read, you will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. He's, Paul's saying you will be enriched. You will benefit if you are generous and exercise this muscle. Then in verse 12, the recipients benefit. He says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing with many expressions of thanks to God. Right, so here we're seeing that not only the recipient benefits, sorry, not only the giver benefits, but the recipient no doubt benefits, which is the logical one, the one who receives the gift. But it doesn't stop there. Down in verses 13 and 14, we see that others benefit as well when they see this happening. When we read in verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for your obedience. I love this picture. Paul's saying here as God's people are generous as they give to God's purposes in the world and and needs are met and lives are changed that others will see this and they'll give praise to God. So that's just the giver who benefits, not just the recipient who benefits, but others benefit. And we read that the relationships are strengthened in the process. Lastly, arguably the, the most important one who benefits is God himself. God himself. All these verses are laced with words of praise and thanks to God. As this occurs, as God supplies what's needed, as that's shared out to others, as people's lives are changed, God receives praise, God receives the glory, and he receives thanks, both from those who within the church, but also a watching world who wonders, are these Christians any different than anyone else? It's an amazing picture in this passage. I wish we had more time to dive into even more of the details. I invite you to read this passage over and over this week and just and really take it in like a good meal because there's so many wonderful truths about the flow of God's blessings to us and through us. So what does this mean for us today? As we consider about wise decisions, financial decisions, how can we make wise financial decisions? And what does God have to say about it? I want us to consider one specific application of this. 
I believe if we get this one right, then everything else cascades down from it. There's ripple effects from it if we get this one right. Because God calls us to put him first. Put him first. And if we allocate and give generously to him first, then other things click into place. Ultimately, we give our hearts more to God. And as we give our hearts more to God, he gives us the wisdom for other aspects of our life. And how, where do I get this from? It starts by considering our giving and the unique impact through the local church. We see that going back to verse 11. There's two words that stand out in verse 11 when Paul says, you will be enriched in every way so you could be generous on every occasion. Then Paul says this, and through us, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. What Paul is saying is that, there's, sure, there's many ways to give. There's many ways to be generous. There's many ways to care for other people. But Paul is saying something unique happens when that gift was given, given through that group of people, through us, Paul says, and it came through the local church to have a local impact. And in that case, the local impact was back in the city of Jerusalem. Here there's a principle at play that though we can give our financial resources to all kinds of places, God has called his people together for a unique purpose on this planet. Ultimately, it's to shine the light of Christ, to share the love of Christ, and to share the hope of Christ. And when that is done and done well, a watching world sees God in action and sees that God still cares about them and God hasn't given up on them. And we see that here in this passage where he says, through us. For me, it's like an image. I've shared about this, one, this big river that would come through Maple Valley, Washington, a place I lived uh, about 15 years ago. And this big river, the Cedar River, would start it up in the Cascade Mountains. It would make its way and it would come all the way through Maple Valley, Washington, down to Renton, Washington, into Lake Washington, which would make its way all the way to Puget Sound. And for me, at points, I'd sit by that river and I could imagine where the water began, whether it was snow that melted or rain that came down. And for me, it's almost a picture of like a leaf that would drop at the top of the river and make its way down. And thinking, I'm almost going back to my childhood, sitting by the Saltbrook at Saltbrook School and thinking what streams go down, that picturing this little leaf thinking, where would that leaf go? Imagine you could follow that leaf from the top all the way down that river, down into that lake. For me, it's an image just like God's resources coming down to us. But instead of a leaf, picture just one dollar, a dollar bill that drops into that river. It makes its way. If you could follow that dollar bill, but not so much physically, but if you could follow that resource everywhere that it went, that everything that we give to God, if you could actually follow that resource, the impact of that dollar bill, a life, a life that has been changed because of that decision to give to God and trust him with how it's used. Imagine the lives that can be changed. Imagine those impacts. For me, it's very much like a positive spiral. It's this image of God's supplies. Then we give and share. Our capacity to give grows. The impact increases. Others praise and thank God. Relationships are strengthened. Hearts are transformed. There's more and more generosity. More and more lives are impacted. And there's more and more praise to God. It's this wonderful picture of how this can play out. And where does it start? It starts with us. And it starts with the local church. In a world of seemingly infinite opportunities of where we can give away our resources, God calls the local church to be a special bearer of those resources. So in terms of financial giving, what does that look like? I know for me, why do Laurie and I give to New Providence Presbyterian Church? Is it because I'm the senior pastor? 
Now, it's not, I don't, it's not in my job description. It was out in Maple Valley. It was in my job description, but we're not going to talk about that. I give, and we give, because of Jesus Christ. And whether I was serving as a senior pastor of this church or I was sitting in your seat as a member, I would be giving to this church because of what Jesus has shared, the words of the Apostle Paul, and because of all that God has done for me and for us, in response to him, we would give. And we would also give because we know God's working and through this historic church. Since 1737, right, where we are, God has been at work in and through this church, blessing countless lives in this community, in the surrounding towns, even to the ends of the earth. I love sending out that email this week saying, give me just one reason how God has impacted you positively through our church. And boy, I wish I could just share all those, those responses with you. They just kept coming back, coming back. Every time I clicked into my email box, there was another email saying, thank you, Lord Jesus, for New Providence Presbyterian Church. Thank you for the ways you've impacted my children from preschool through youth club, through junior high online, through salt groups, mission trips, retreats. It goes on and on, confirmation and beyond, relationships. All the different ways through, through women's groups such as tapestry and other gatherings. Prayer groups, people coming together. Care, pastoral care from Colleen through the deacons and, and people being cared for. Our mission partners, both here locally, domestically, and around the world, even getting an update from Amistad this week that a, a family of three has been reunited with their mother because of that group's work. And now she is in a place to receive her children back. They've been reunited after being separated. And your support of our church has helped us Long to support Chris King as U.S. Executive Director in that wonderful mission for years. If you could follow the dollar bill everywhere it goes, you'd follow that dollar bill to a family reunited in Bolivia, in part because of your financial giving. It goes on and on and on. There's a gazillion reasons why we give to you promise Presbyterian Church. I think you have similar stories. I've heard them through email as you consider, also as you consider Jesus' words, as you consider his work in your life, as you consider the work in and through our church family since 1737, that God has called us to be a faithful gospel witness, a light in this community, and we get to be a, a part of that. So I ask you today, how can you commit or continue to commit to financial giving to New Providence Presbyterian Church? And asking, what is the wise thing to do with my financial resources? And if you start with the local church as God has invited us, called us, and even commanded us to do, God then will have everything fall into place. The ripples will fall into place. And it's between you and God, going back to verse, that verse eight. Each of you should give, decide to give based on what's in your heart, based on between you and God. What does that look like for you? Remember, remembering that overall this is Jesus, right? John 3.16 can never refer to it enough. For God so loved the world that he gave. God gave his one and only son. He is a generous God. He's a giving God. And every time we give, we walk in God's steps. We become more and more like him. And we respond to what he's done for us. So God's inviting and calling us to make wise decisions. And I know we can't cover it all today, but it starts with him as we click that into place. I've seen, seen and heard countless testimonies of how God then works from there on out. So I want to give you one thing to remember, one thing to do as we finish the sermon. First, remember this. God is generous. God is generous. God's generous, and he wants to give us the joy of being a cheerful giver as we dedicate our financial resources 
towards making an impact in our world for his glory. Remember God's generosity with you and his, then the response. One thing to do is to commit or to recommit to financially giving to New Promise Presbyterian Church so that God can shape you into a more generous person who abounds in every good work in Christ. This comes back to that verse earlier in 2 Corinthians. And to ask, what is the wise thing to do with my financial resources? How can you start with God and start with his purposes as you're aligned and connected to our church family, asking God what he's calling you to do? Whether it's you individually or if you're married as a spouse together to ask God, what are you calling us to do? And to recognize just like with time, just like with using your gifts, experiences, and expertise, if you do, if you apply this consistently, it has the most impact. And so we've seen is if people give and give consistently, whether it's weekly or monthly and get on a schedule, that has the most impact over time. So as you think about your 2022 and your financial decisions and your financial commitments, I ask that you consider this this week. What does this look like for you? What does this look like for you and your family and for us as a church family? And whether it's a weekly commitment, a bi-weekly commitment, monthly commitment, um, and I encourage you to think about a percentage. That's usually been the best way. Whether, no doubt, the biblical call to a tithe, for some, that's what you've been doing your whole life. Others, what, 10%? Are you kidding me? Everyone's in between. But to say, I'm gonna give 1%, 2%, 5%. See what God does with that. And as you do that and do it consistently, back to that image of exercising muscles, your generosity muscles will increase as you experience the joy of freely giving to Christ through our church. Everyone's invited to do that. And so as a reminder of ways to give, usually we do it in an offering moment. It's included in the sermon today. There are boxes, right? If you're here with us in person, boxes for offering in the back. You can go online to our website. You could give through our app. Those are one-time giving. If you want to set up a recurring offering or gift, you do that through an ACH transfer from your bank, or you could do it going through our database, The Corner. If you could email office at thecornernj.com if you have questions about that. Uh, questions for reflection as we finish, as we bring this all together. Ask the question this week, how is God inviting me to see my financial resources and financial decisions differently in light of this sermon and the truth of 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15? Then ask, how is God calling me to become a cheerful giver through committing or recommitting to being a consistent percentage giver to the Promised Presbyterian Church? And then ask, what is standing in the way and how can I step out in faith to do this. Lastly, ask what impacts, imagine again, oh, that, that river, what impacts can God make in and through my financial decisions? Imagine the impact. Like I finished last week, I said, what if, what if we actually did this in terms of gifts, experiences, and expertise? I say again, what if, this is, yeah, the required sermon, right? Every pastor has to give some type of sermon like this each, each year. But hear my heart, it's not a requirement. God's not doesn't cares less about your money, he cares about your heart. And as you give in this capacity, imagine what would happen through our church. We've been blessed and you've kept our church strong through this pandemic through your giving, thank you. But before I arrived here, there were cuts that were made, cuts made to staff, hard cuts. And our mission partners, we, couldn't, we haven't been able to support them at the same level. Your generous offerings through special, the special offerings at Thanksgiving and Christmas are getting us there. But I'd like to get us back to a point where we don't have to rely on special offerings to do that that we could then support our mission partners without asking for special offerings and then take those special offerings and dedicate it to something else. Pray and think about that this week. And I want to give us a chance to do that right now. Uh, I'm going to give us a moment of silence to pray and to reflect. 
um, on what we've heard, and then we'll move on with the rest of the service. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we now come to you with a time of silence to, to slow down and reflect on what we've just heard. It's a lot, God. But God, you're a generous God. And you've given us everything. Help us to see what this means in our life. God, help us ask the question, God, what do you want me to do in light of what I've heard? So we give these next moments to you, God. Father in heaven, thank you for your great love for us. Help us to know what to do and what's next. God, may you receive all the glory and honor and praise from our lives, including what we've considered today. We pray all this in the powerful and matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, as we finish, uh, I want to invite you back next week. We're starting a new sermon series next week called I Need Words. In a time where there's continued anxiety and uncertainty, I know from talking to many of you that sometimes you feel like you just don't have words to pray. God, where do I begin? Um, so if we're gonna take the month of February, each week we're gonna, take, we're gonna engage a different psalm and we're gonna let the psalms of the Old Testament give us words to pray. And so I invite you to come each week in February as we engage in this series called I Need Words. We're gonna take a psalm a week it's also going to be a month of prayer. We're declaring a month of prayer. It's the first time we've, I've declared it. I decided for us not to be overachievers. I picked the shortest month, right? <laughs> February 28th. So we're going to do a month of prayer. And to do that, you'll see in the back on the way out, and this is available also online, a prayer calendar. I invite you to take one of these as you walk out there on the table. On each day is a prayer focus. I invite you to pray for that focus each day. Find, team up with a prayer partner or maybe a group and pray for those prayer requests. There's going to be additional ways for you to, to submit prayer requests. We're going to have another additional opportunities to pray as well. But February is going to be a month of prayer as we come before God and say, God, we need your help. And God, we need words, and you've given us words.